Please help us keep the Historian's Podcast going with a donation to our 2022 Fund Drive. You can donate via GoFundMe. You'll find that link on our website, bobcudmore.com. And thank you very much. This is Jim Kaplan. I'm going to talk today about the uh, Buttonwood Agreement and the beginning in the history of Wall Street. The Buttonwood Agreement, many of you may or may not know, I assume most people don't know, was the founding document of the New York Stock Exchange, what began uh, Wall Street to be the uh, uh, center of American and perhaps international capitalism. This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. Our New York City correspondent, Jim Kaplan, joins us. He's an attorney in Manhattan, a founder of the Lower Manhattan Historical Association, and has led walking tours uh, in Manhattan. And as you say, your story today is the creation of Wall Street as a financial center. Tell us about the importance of Wall Street in Lower Manhattan. Well, many New Yorkers and many Americans generally considered Wall Street to be the world's most famous and important street. It's almost like Hanuk. Many tourists are surprised to find that Wall Street, once described as a short street with a river at one end and a church at the other, is only seven blocks long. You know, people would expect that such an important street would be uh, a much longer, wider, but it's really been the center of uh, lower Manhattan in many respects, and I think iconically today, Wall Street is considered the American finance. Originally, it was named for a palisade wall built by the Dutch in the 1640s and torn down by the English in 1699. Some say the wall was built to keep out the Indians. Others say, say the wall was built to keep out the English. Uh, obviously, the latter was not successful. The street was an important east-west thoroughfare until the American Revolution. At that time, the entire city of New York, home to about 15,000 people, was south of uh, uh, City Hall Park. Wall Street, which for many years, perhaps a century or, or a century and a half, had no, uh, was totally commercial and uh, is now significantly, if not largely, residential. Uh, the financial institutions which became famous there are now located in uh, Manhattan or elsewhere, but still the name Wall Street connotes the American financial institution. I mean, certainly the communists or the Russians, they wanted to know where American was, America was directed out of. Khrushchev certainly wanted to come to Wall Street. Uh, whether that's true or not, one could debate. But in any event, another interesting fact of Wall Street's history is there seems to be a focus on declines. Uh, the great crash of 1929, the sometime crash of 2008 and previously, I, uh, for about 35 years, and still will do it, uh, give with my partner Richard Warshower uh, a walking tour of Lower Manhattan for the uh, sponsored by the uh, Museum of American Finance, entitled "The Great Crashes of Wall Street." But as we point out on that tour, a crash implies a fall from some height. So, to me, the really interesting story of Wall Street then is not and now is not just the crashes, 
but the rise of Wall Street and the American mm-hmm. economy. In fact, today, uh, the New York Stock Exchange, Dow Jones Industrials, had an all-time high. So uh, to me, the in- really interesting story is how did Wall Street become a financial center, and how did the American economy grow? Well, can you tell us that story? Sure. After Evacuation Day, which was November 25th, 1783, which I believe I did a previous podcast for you on, when the Patriot Army took over the city of New York from the British, Wall Street became a fashionable commercial street. Such prominent New Yorkers as Alexander Hamilton had his law office there, and it was the location of Hamilton's Bank of New York. Now, initially, uh, after the, right after the American Revolution, the United States government was in a very difficult shape economically. And there was a question as to whether the new nation would in fact survive, as war debts of the federal and early state governments were, were trading as, uh, were very, very substantial, uh, it wasn't clear that they would be paid off. They were trading at a significant discount from their face value. Alexander Hamilton, who I'm sure you've all heard of, particularly because of the uh, recent play, however, in his role as the new U.S. Secretary of the Treasury, devised a plan whereby the U.S. government would refinance the federal and state debts by establishing a national bank of the United States and by issuing government bonds, which would pay 100 cents on the dollar. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was a very controversial proposal at the time. Uh, The U.S. Constitution had just been passed uh, in 1789, strongly on the influence of people like Alexander Hamilton and John Jay. And uh, uh, the idea that the U.S. government would issue bonds that would pay 100 cents on the dollar what many of was buy to buy up bonds which were trading at significantly less than that was was very controversial. Uh, uh, many people, including those in the Tammany Society and Marinus Willett, who I spoke about previously, believe that this was a payoff to the wealthy uh, landowners who would own uh, who who had bought up a lot of the uh, uh, U.S. government and uh, state. Uh, debt at a, at uh, a considerable discount. However, Hamilton carried through with the, with the project, and to this day, the U.S. government has always paid a hundred cents on the dollar on uh, Treasury bonds, which has been many would argue, including myself, the basis of the, of ultimately uh, the nation's prosperity. After the revolution. Some merchants uh, began to gather at the Tontine Coffee House around 100 Wall Street to trade U.S. government securities and the stock of, there were only three major banks in the country at the time. One was the federally chartered First Bank of the United States, the New York State Chartered Bank of New York, which had been organized by Alexander Hamilton, and the Pennsylvania Chartered uh, Bank of North America, which had been organized by uh, Robert Morris, who was the leading financier in Philadelphia. At first, mm-hmm. trading in these securities was somewhat chaotic. Brokers would charge different prices and commissions for, for various securities. So, you know, it depended who you went to, what price you got. And some unscrupulous speculators would try to manipulate the market in certain securities. This was not an auspicious start. In late 1791 and early 1792, 
a former U.S. Treasury official named William Doerr, along with Alexander McComb, sought to corner the market of the Bank of the United States. Their plan, however, failed, and they defaulted on their obligations, and the markets collapsed in the so-called Panic of 1792, which caused widespread financial distress. So this was not a good situation for the new American government. Alexander Hamilton, who was recently, in his early 30s, the recently appointed Secretary of the Treasury, sought to alleviate the crisis by having the Bank of the United States buy U.S. government and bank securities and having all banks loosen up on credit. And then there came a secret meeting. Yeah, in response to this crisis, 24 of New York's leading uh, merchants or brokers, if you will, uh, who were trading at the Tontine House, met secretly at Corey's Hotel to discuss ways to bring order to the securities business. The meeting culminated in what is now known as the Buttonwood Agreement, the founding document of the New York Stock Exchange and one of the most important financial documents in United States history. Why is it called the Buttonwood Agreement? The Buttonwood Agreement is said to have been signed on May 17, 1792, near a buttonwood tree, which is an American sycamore, at what is today 68 Wall Street. If you go by the, in front of the New York Stock Exchange on Broad Street, you'll mm-hmm. see a, a nondescript a tree, which you assume is like any other tree that, uh, you know, on a New York City street. But in reality, that tree is an exact replica, or is a sycamore tree, and is intended to, present, to uh, uh, symbolize mm-hmm. the, the Buttonwood Agreement. But that tree, which very few people on Wall Street know, uh, is really intended to symbolize the Buttonwood Agreement, which was the foundation of the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, the signatories to the agreement uh, agreed to bring all to the transactions and certain listed securities to one central place where they would be uniform prices for each security traded. Furthermore, it provided that the members of the, uh, the agreement, or the exchange, which we later become the New York Stock Exchange, uh, would only deal with one another in trading in those securities and would not charge a commission on trades of more than 1.25%. Uh, this ultimately would have a tremendous impact on uh, uh, the American economy and certainly on Wall Street. The agreement created a central market for listed securities trading at a fixed price and open to all members of the exchange. That meant there was only one price. So if you went to buy a security in the uh, Bank of the United States, the price would be the one that it was traded by all members on the exchange. Just mm-hmm. like today, if you buy uh, uh, AT&T or uh, uh, Tesla or uh, uh, Microsoft, there's one the great advantage of the New York Stock Exchange or the exchanges that it brings all trades to a central place where there's a fixed price. So you don't have to worry about whether you're getting the best price or the guy next door is getting, getting a different price. Uh, it also, by the way, gave the members of the exchange a monopoly in trading on those securities on the exchange. So uh, as a result, all, most of the trading in a specific security would, by virtue of the agreement, 
be forced onto the exchange. So most of the transactions would take place on the exchange. This mm-hmm. created a central market for securities, uh, importance of which cannot be underestimated. Uh, it should also be noted, obviously, that uh, uh, it created a monopoly on trading in securities to the people who were the members of the exchange. So if you weren't a member of the stock exchange or a member of the agreement, uh, you couldn't uh, – you could perhaps trade securities elsewhere, but you wouldn't be part of the central market, uh, which would be critical to the growth of the uh, brokerage community in New York City. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, That rule, by the way, uh, stayed in effect – from the 1790s until 1975, when the Securities and Exchange Commission uh, abolished it as anti-competitive, which it certainly was. For almost 200 years, however, that rule gave exchange members a significant competitive advantage over other people in the country in securities trading. Who were some of the original signers of the Buttonwood Agreement? Uh, well, there were, there were 24 signatories on the Buttonwood Agreement. Interesting, six of them were Sephardic Jews, and, and Jews were uh, somewhat important in lower uh, uh, Manhattan, but not nearly important as their numbers would have indicated. Uh, the rest were uh, Protestant uh, merchants. The original Jews were uh, Benjamin Sisius, who was a relative of Shirith Israel Rabbi Gershon Mendes Sisius, Isaac Gomez, Alexander Zuntz, and Ephraim Hart. Uh, We, on April 8th of this year, did a ceremony uh, for the second time in honor of the first synagogue in North America, which is located at 26 William Street, probably a block, a few blocks away from the uh, uh, stock exchange. Uh, And Benjamin uh, uh, Sisius was one of, uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Gershom Mendes Sisius was really the, the patriot leader. So, it showed the importance uh, of the Jewish community, even at that time, in uh, New York City, the Sephardic uh, Jewish community. At, initially, in the ni- 1790s, there were relatively few securities traded on the exchange. Uh, and uh, I would say, even throughout the 19th century, uh, most of the financial action on Wall Street was not in stock uh, uh, trading. It was not until the 1920s, right after the First World War, with the rise of public securities markets or the rise of individual investment promoted by uh, Wall Street firms such as the predecessor of Merrill Lynch, Bayes and Company, and others, that Mm -hmm. the the idea of broad-based uh, individual investment in the stock exchange became prevalent. Uh, throughout the 19th century, the banks were probably the most important factors on uh, uh, in Wall Street. And uh, it was really, uh, uh, well, there was a rivalry between the uh, Bank of New York, which was Hamilton's bank, and the Bank of Manhattan, which was the, the Tammany Hall Bank. Uh, of course, the Bank of Manhattan is today, it's uh, corporate uh, successor, in a sense, is J.P. Morgan Chase. And ironically, they recently bought up part of the Bank of New York's operations, but that's 200 years later. 
It was really Andrew Jackson's veto of the Second Bank of the United mm. States that I believe created Wall Street as the preeminent financial center in the in the country. Before that, uh, arguably Philadelphia, where the, uh, the the Bank of New York, but the U.S. Bank was headquartered, was the uh, 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 probably was more preeminent than, than Wall Street, but. After Andrew Jackson's veto in 1834, that uh, shifted to the private banks on, on Wall Street, and, and mm-hmm. it's never uh, uh The New York Stock Exchange today uh, has about, I believe, uh, 1,500 listed securities, and supposedly there's $24 trillion in capital that's traded there, so it's by far the, the epicenter, if you will, of American, if not international, finance. The uh, training of stocks or companies we that we associate with uh, the stock market didn't really happen until the 1920s. Well, there was some trading, and there were major uh, Cornelius Vanderbilt and uh, Daniel Drew, and then later uh, J.P. Morgan, all invested in stocks and did uh, takeovers of various companies. But the broad-based investment in uh, New York Stock Exchange companies really didn't get going until after the First World War. Uh, uh, I, by the way, have written a... uh, uh, I'm writing a 15-chapter history of Wall Street, and uh, I've gotten through uh, 11 of the chapters that have been printed in the uh, New York Almanac, so if you want to read the entire history up to 1950... Uh, you can read the, read my series of articles. Uh, the uh, I intend to uh, uh, write four more, which would take it up to today, from 1950 to today. Unfortunately, I've been a little uh, delayed on that, and I apologize to uh, uh, John Warren, who's fabulous as, as the editor of the Almanac. But uh, I've had a, a few other uh, projects uh, which... Uh, I can describe. Can I describe? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure. Well, let me ask, ask you this question, though, first. Is Wall Street, what we call Wall Street, still the largest concentration of capital in the world? You said it was at least the biggest in the in this country. But, I mean, there are other stock exchanges around the world, right? Yeah, there are. I, I can't speak to uh, uh, whether we're the largest, but I certainly believe we are, and I certainly believe we're the most famous, and in many ways the most important. I believe there are stock exchanges in China now, uh, which in a sense uh, uh, mirror uh, uh, our efforts, but I believe that we are first, and I would say primus anti pares, for what I can tell. First uh, among equals among or something. Equals. Yes. Yeah. Uh, All right, well, let's go back to what you wanted to talk about. Okay. Well, I personally have been involved in uh, uh, through the Lower Manhattan Historical Association, of which I'm a co-founder, in a number of ceremonies in the last two months. Uh, One was for the Lower Manhattan Historical Association. Uh, We do one for uh, Evacuation Day, as you may know. I think I've spoken about that on here. Mm -hmm. Uh, We do one for the uh, uh, founding of the first synagogue, which we did on April 8th. And I think our most ambitious project is going to be this, which is a new one, is this one on the uh, uh, 
uh, founding of the New York Stock Exchange and the Buttonwood Agreement, which uh, I think is a, uh, uh, which we hope will uh, further foster uh, uh, interest in the financial history of the city and hopefully will lead to the uh, reopening of the New York Stock Exchange Visitor Center, uh, which was very important in uh, uh, in uh, the 19, uh, until uh, 9-11 when it closed, which I think in many ways uh, it was for security reasons. But my view is, and I believe the view of our board is, that it's time to reopen it and time to, uh, uh, it's part of our long-term goal of building Lower Manhattan as a world-class historical tourist destination. Uh, in many ways, the stock, tra- stock exchange, which employed many more people probably 15 or 20 years ago as floor traders, brokers, is now uh, eclipsed by, by computers. But I think the long-term future of Lower Manhattan is as one of the world-class historical uh, destination, historical and entertainment destinations. Uh, uh, there are other things. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the Arturo de Monaco's Bull, which has been promoted by uh, uh, Art, Art Piccolo of the Bowling Green Association, uh, is an example of the increase in uh, tourist attractions, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, in fact, uh, I think that the uh, I mean, the Francis Tavern Museum, which is uh, two of our members of our board, uh, uh, Ambrose Richardson, our president, and uh, Peter Hine, who's now the chairman of the uh, Sons of the Revolution, is, is very closely allied with our, our, uh, w- with us and our efforts. And uh, I think that future of Lower Manhattan significantly will be as a historical tourist destination. After all, I mean, there are great tourist destinations like... Uh, uh, Williams, Colonial Williamsburg, and things like that. Uh, I was looking at their website recently, and uh, I see that you have to pay fifty dollars for a one-person ticket right. uh, to, to come to Lower Manhattan. You just have to get on the subway. So, I see. Uh, so you know. So I think I think uh, we're, we're trying very much to promote that. Now, uh, so uh, tourists now, and you're down there, you're doing tours, or you're you're down and they're familiar with that area. I mean, do people come and say, well, I'd like to know more about, I mean, and there's no, like, museum to see the history of Wall Street? Well, uh, they do. There's been a great interest in, in, the, in, the, in the history of Wall Street. There are museums. The Museum of American Finance, which was founded by John Herzog, who's on our board, uh, you know, was for, for many years was at the 48 Wall Street. It unfortunately lost its space recently and is trying to, is still running programs. Uh, in fact, that's who I gave my Wall Street tour with Richard Warshower for the last uh, uh, 33 years. Uh, so that's certainly uh, been an active participant. I know that John Herzog, who will be speaking or will have spoken at the Buttonwood, has been a, a lifelong promoter of, uh, uh, I'd say, uh, uh, education about financial history and feels quite strongly that there that not enough people know the real history of Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, now that the Francis Tavern Museum has greatly increased its efforts uh, in the last 10 years. I also was a 
for about 15 years, gave an all-night walking tour on July 4th for them. So that's a very active. They've now got a full-time executive director and staff, and I would encourage people to go down there, either to both to, to the restaurant but also to the museum. Now, I've been down in lower Manhattan a few times, mainly to, to see the um, 9-11 memorials and, and work and so forth. But on television, I always see, um, you know, when the things are up or things are down, you see this this group of people that when they're gaveling uh, the Wall Street session for the day uh, to have concluded, you can can you still see that? I mean, do they still trade stocks on the floor of the stock exchange? Yes, yes. The opening and closing of the stock exchanges has always been a, a big event, and uh, it still is. Uh, many people, however, say that today the real action in trading is in computers and that the, it's really there for show. In other words, if a company wants to list itself on the New York Stock Exchange, they'll, have, they'll ring out the bell and they'll ring out the, uh, you know, and it gives uh, publicity to the, to the company. And now that it's on the Stock Exchange, uh, uh, I, my understanding, and I'm just going to say I'm not uh, fully an expert on this, is that, that the... the, the, the uh, uh, the real nitty-gritty trading, which you would see in the 1920s or, or maybe even in the 1970s, uh, is, is done offline and, and through through computers. Uh, uh, so, um, uh, in a way, there's been a decrease. I mean, that was the major generator of uh, uh, employment in, in on Wall Street, and uh, you know, those were generally quite high-paying jobs. Uh, and uh, 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 I think that's less now. Uh, many of the financial institutions, actually the headquarters is like Citibank and uh, and uh, J.P. Morgan Chase has moved to the town. But, but I, I think, yes, definitely you will see the, the, uh, the bell rang out and, uh, you know, when a company goes. And it really is, in a way, I don't want to say a, a public relations thing, but it's, uh, you know, it's for much more. My view is that, uh, they probably have more space there, and that really should be a, an exhibition center for the history of Wall Street, for, uh, you know, uh, perhaps for the Museum of American Finances, some other institution mm-hmm. where people would come, to, would come to look. They used to, uh, 20 years ago, there would be lines up Broad Street of tourists who wanted to get in to see the Stock Exchange Visitor Center. Now, that closed as of 9-11, but as I said previously, I think it's time to reopen. To reopen it. And if we could just squeeze in a couple of other New York City topics that you've been involved in. You were uh, there when they co-named 46th Street in Hell's Kitchen for uh, Frances Perkins, who ultimately was uh, FDR's Secretary of Labor. She had a lot to do with creation of Social Security. But what I got a, a big kick out of, Jim, is that you were right next to Mayor Eric Adams. He's quite an, an interesting guy. Yes, that was the first time. Well, we were, well, let me, let me go back about that. I, I did uh, give a podcast uh, relatively recently for you, Bob, on the uh, Tammany Hall and the last and the and, and the McManus uh, organization in Hell's Kitchen, uh, which was uh, I was a part of, and we were part of the uh, well, I would say we were the instrumental in getting 46th Street and 9th Avenue named for uh, uh, Frances Perkins, uh, who got her start with Thomas J. McManus in Hell's Kitchen, and I believe that 
New Deal really began on that block. Uh, so it, it took us about uh, five years. Mickey Spillane, the, the then district leader, and I went before the community board to get the street named. Uh, it didn't take us five years. It, took, it, got, uh, it was named about five years ago, but to have that ceremony it didn't happen for five years. I guess, as I said at the opening, sometimes government moves slowly. In the, uh, but uh, that was a great ceremony. Uh, we had uh, Mayor Adams was there. Uh, Tomlin Cogasol, who was uh, Francis Perkins' grandson, was there. Roberta Reardon, who was the uh, state commissioner of labor, which was the same position that Francis uh, Perkins held. Uh, uh, Assemblyman Dick Gottfried and others were there. We're just out of time. Our New York City correspondent Jim Kaplan has joined us with the story of the Buttonwood Agreement, which led to creation of Wall Street as a financial trading center in lower Manhattan. Jim Kaplan is an attorney in Manhattan and a founder of the Lower Manhattan Historical Association. You've been listening to the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore.